welcome to Destination 2023, a series of podcasts designed for trustees and employers who are looking to secure their members' benefits with an insurer. I'm Carol Dick, one of the pensions partners at Osborne Clark. I'm joined today by Adolfo Ponte, who's a managing director at Cardano. Adolfo leads Cardano's risk solutions practice and particularly focuses on advising clients on counterparty risk, or rather the risk of an insurer failing. In this podcast, we're going to look at why insurance is seen as the gold standard when securing members' benefits, including talking about the main features of the insurance regulatory regime, the protections it provides to both trustees and members, alongside some important upcoming changes. So Adolfo, thank you very much for joining me. Carol, thank you for asking me. Well, it's often said that buying out a pension scheme's benefits with an insurer is the holy grail for trustees. So in order to explore this topic properly, I think we probably need to go back to basics for a moment. What would you say is the ultimate aim of a defined benefit pension scheme? Well, whether you look at this topic through the eyes of a trustee, a scheme member, or a sponsoring employer, uh, the ultimate aim of a pension scheme is to ensure that the benefits of the scheme members are paid as they fall due. So how do trustees make sure that happens? Well, in very broad terms, trustees have two options. One is to keep the scheme going, retaining the link to the employer covenant. The other option is to transfer or ensure the scheme benefits up front, transferring those liabilities to an insurer through either a buy-in or a buyout. Of course, there's other options available that are seeking to replicate many of the features of uh, insurance, uh, but uh, the latter remains the most popular option. Industry surveys um, show that over 70% of trustees now target some form of insurance um, as part of their long-term funding strategy. Importantly, TPR does not dictate what path each scheme should pursue. The decision is ultimately left to trustees and in many cases, corporates. Thanks, Adolfo. I think many trustees might start from the premise that insurance is the safest option for their members, if they can afford the premium, of course. But this only works as a solution if the insurer's covenant is going to be better or stronger than their employer covenant could be, doesn't it? The perception that insurance enhances the security of member benefits is a core tenant that helps explain the popularity of this option. This is because uninsured scheme liabilities will continue to run funding risks associated with factors such as longevity, inflation and investment. If a pension scheme does not have enough assets to meet its liabilities, trustees then need to rely on the ability and the willingness of their corporate employers to plug the hole. This is what we know as the employer covenant. The good news is that in recent years, funding levels have improved and trustees have also been able to dial down the amount of risk they carry directly. However, they cannot course control the employer's performance and if the employer continues to trade in the future. So if a pension scheme can afford to purchase insurance that matches those liabilities, my expectation is that they'll take that option and consider it carefully. As ever, 
trustees will need to look at their own scheme-specific dynamics. For many schemes, my expectation is that right now, uh, insurance will enhance the security of their members. Insurers can and do fail, but this tends to happen a lot less frequently than what we see for corporate employers. Right. Um, so can you explain to our listeners how insurance enhances member security? I tend to see three layers of protection available to members when it comes to buyout. Firstly, insurers are highly regulated by proactive regulators. That is the Prudential Regulatory Authority, or PRA, which regulates the safety and soundness of financial institutions, and the Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA, which regulates the conduct, or rather the way they treat um, their customers. The second layer is that insurers hold meaningful amount of capital, and they tend to have access to a richer set of uh, risk frameworks, uh, which involves levers that can be uh, deployed to help manage the balance sheet. So for example, all insurers active in the UK will actively manage the amount of longevity risk that they retain by transferring any excess risk to the reinsurance market. The third layer um, involves what happens when things go wrong. Um, in this case, insurers have access to deep uh, markets where they can raise capital. The insurance framework also embeds mechanisms to transfer benefits from weaker insurers to stronger insurers. And ultimately, if all else fails, you have the safety net provided by the financial services and compensation scheme. Of course, those trustees that conclude that insurance is likely to enhance the security member benefits will then need to also consider um, how they go about choosing one out of the eight insurers that are active in the buyout market. This means actually looking at the merits and the strengths of each one of those insurers. This is what we know as the assessment of counterparty risk. Right, thank you. You've, you've just mentioned that on a buyout, members' pensions would be covered by the regulated insurance regime. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yes, the insurance regime, uh, also known as Solvency 2, was introduced back in 2016. And in a nutshell, it imposes capital requirements on insurers so that they can withstand economic and other shocks. The framework is calibrated to a 1 in 200 one-year event, um, which is meant to reduce the risk that an insurer is unable to meet uh, the claims of its policyholders. As part of this framework, they'll need to uh, be able to uh, raise capital to cover several um, layers. Uh, the first one is minimum capital requirement, or MCR, which is the minimum level of capital that insurers are required to maintain. Below this level, insurers would become insolvent from, for regulatory purposes um, and would lose their licenses. The second layer is the solvency capital requirement, or SCR, which is the level of capital that insurers are in theory required to maintain. It's intended to represent a more flexible and risk sensitive standard than MCR, and it's usually three to four times larger 
than this uh, metric. Now, in practice, the PRA also expects insurers to hold a meaningful amount of capital in excess of SCR. The end result is a tiered approach that is meant to give both insurers and the PRA time to, to take steps to help mitigate the possibility that an insurer may fail. Another important feature of the regime is called matching adjustment, and it dictates how insurers invest. This is one of those critical risk reward trade-offs that are embedded into the regime. But the reality is we probably need a whole podcast to be able to uh, explore this feature fully. Right. We've already talked about how transferring pension benefits to an insurer means that members' pensions might be more secure than they would be in a traditional pensions environment. But what is it that makes it unlikely that an insurer will fail? For starters, a strong track record. Um, there are only a handful of instances in the UK where life insurers have had to cut benefits of their policyholders. The last major event took place at the turn of the century and in fact preceded uh, many of the protections that have come online since. By contrast, there are hundreds of pension schemes that have ended up cutting benefits as they entered the PPF. So I think we can all agree that insurance tends to provide a higher level of security than what we experience in the pensions regime. It's also worth saying that there uh, it hasn't been a material failure since uh, 2001 in the insurance regime, which means that uh, the FSES has never been tested. Despite this strong track record, trustees and employers should not assume that insurance is a risk-free proposition. It's important to remember that trustees need to get themselves comfortable um, that uh, about the merits of buyouts uh, and the fact that it's not always um, the, the safest option, in particular for well-run, well-funded schemes with a strong employer covenant. Okay then, so let's play devil's advocate for a moment. What would happen if an insurer did default? Well, broadly speaking, the safety net provided by the financial services compensation scheme would come into play. This scheme is funded by levies paid by firms that are authorised by the FCA. And the FSES takes steps if the insurer defaults or is unable to meet its payments to policyholders. So from a pensions perspective, this means that the FSES will protect trustees if insurers go insolvent after a buying, as ultimately uh, the, the insurance policy is an asset of the scheme. And it also means that it will protect individual policyholders if insurers go insolvent after buyout, at which point the insurance policy sits directly with the member. Right. And um, so how does this protection work in practice? Well, there are two stages. Um, firstly, the FSCS would look to secure the continuity of cover, which means that it would be looking to transfer um, obligations from weaker insurers to stronger insurers. This tends to be the preference of the scheme um, when it comes to long term insurance contracts. Where this isn't possible, you get to the second stage. Uh, which requires the FSCS 
to make the compensation directly, at which point the expectation is that it would cover 100% of the claim. Thank you. One of the final questions I had then was about the reform of the Solvency II regime. So we know that this is on the cards and I expect, of course, there's going to be a lot of detail still to be worked through. But would you be able to explain to our listeners briefly what those reforms might look like? Yes, of course. Um, in February last year, the government announced a proposal that would significantly reform the Solvency II regime. The stated aim of this uh, change would be to increase the flexibility and unlock investment uh, available to insurers to make to areas such as social infrastructure and green energy. The UK's reform is likely to have impact in three areas. Firstly, it's going to reduce the amount of capital that we expect insurers will need to hold. On the margin, we think that over time, this change could improve um, insurer pricing. Secondly, it's, it's going to allow insurers to invest in a greater array of assets, helping them redeploy capital into the real economy. Thirdly, it's going to make it easier on reporting and administration requirements, providing insurers with greater flexibility where possible. Now, for those of us that have been following this reform more closely, we will know that the PRA has expressed some reservations over the upcoming changes. The PRA has, for example, noted that the reduction in capital I mentioned earlier will likely have an impact in the probability of insurance failure over the medium term. In terms of investment, the PRA has expressed concern with the fact that the government has not taken on board its recommendation to reform the matching adjustment mechanism. Nevertheless, insurers, investors and policyholders we've spoken to have in general tended to welcome the reform. The challenge will be to ensure that any loosening of prudential requirements can be balanced against the need to safeguard policyholders against the risk of insurance failure, which, as we've been discussing so far, trustees understandably hold to high regard. That's really interesting. Thank you so much, Adolfo, for a really informative and certainly topical session, especially when we look at the numbers of buy-ins and buyouts which have already completed this year. And there's certainly no sign of those numbers slowing down. Before I let you go, one final question, if I may. On balance, do you think personally that the move to insurance helps trustees deliver on the pensions promise? Absolutely. As I've mentioned already, for most schemes, the move to insurance will enhance the security member benefits, but it also does a lot more. The transfer of risk to the insurance regime frees up corporates to invest in their businesses, and also it frees up insurers to invest in the real economy, which ultimately is a positive for all of us. Adolfo, that's great. And thank you everyone for listening. Well, that's all for today. Please do contact me or your usual Osborne Clark contact if you'd like to know more about securing members' benefits with an insurer. Adolfo has also kindly agreed to leave his contact details, which you can find alongside the link to this podcast. I do hope you'll join us for the next instalment of our Destination podcast series, 
where my colleagues David Hosford and Lee Colgate will be talking about the common legal issues that arise when preparing a scheme for a buyout transaction. Thank you for listening.